Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to look at verses 12 through 22 today as we wrap up the Philippians series here. And we're not going to finish the whole book. There's so much that I would love to say out of this, but we'll come back to it some other time. But um, I love this, uh, what Paul does have to say and what he's teaching us here. And I think it's so important for us to, to remember it and to not get... Uh, to not get uh, lost in, in, in the world that we live in. So let's read that together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or already have been made perfect. Now he's looking back at the previous scripture, the chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 11. And I don't want to read that right now, but we'll refer to it later on. It says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Father, today, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and that you will guide us as we look at your word, that you will open our minds. Father, today, we are are desperately in need of you. Lord, we know that right now, Um, the world has distracted us. The world has got us off course that at times we have been, uh, that we have been less than we should be, that we have gone directions we shouldn't go, that there's a struggle for our hearts and our souls in this world. Lord, we're here today because we need you. We're not here, Lord, because we have to be. No one is holding our feet to the fire and saying you have to be there or else it's it's we are here because we want you and we want to know you and we're seeking to know you and we're seeking for you to speak into our hearts and our lives and so today lord i'm asking you to do that would you speak into the hearts and lives of your people would you bring us to the throne today would you show us jesus today would you give us a fresh encounter with you today lord my heart just longs for that right now Lord, it's so easy to look around and say, it's not like it used to be. But Lord, you're still the same. And so we worship you and we praise you this morning and we bless your name and we lift you up and we honor you and we thank you for being here. 
Lord, I thank you for that music that we sang this morning. My heart is, is encouraged by that. Lord, I felt like I was in your presence. You are worthy. All those things, you are worthy. You are worthy to open the scroll, to break the seal. You're the only one who is worthy. All others who have tried were unworthy. You are the only one who is worthy. And so, Lord, we rejoice today that one has been found who is worthy. And we praise you and we worship you today. You are so good. We give you praise. And we ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we get started here today. What is the greatest moment in your life, that, that greatest event, that greatest thing in your life? Anybody have a thought on that, anything in your mind right now that's going on through your mind? Some of you are sitting next to your wife or your husband, and, you know, and she's nudging you right now, and you know she's saying, you know, marrying me was it, right? You know, and you're, you're going, oh, I've got to behave and say, yeah, that's it. But might not be really, but you're willing to say that to keep peace at home or whatever. I don't know. Um, I have several moments I remember as highlights in my life. You know, I remember, uh, I remember graduating from high school. That was a big moment. Anybody remember that? Man, some of us remember that still. It's a long time ago now, but I still remember it. Uh, I remember um, going off to Olivet. That was a big day in my life. Uh, I remember getting my driver's license. Anybody here remember? That was a big deal back then. I don't know if it is now or not, but you know, it was to me, you know, I, you're supposed to be 16 one month and one day before you got a driver's license. I went in on my 16th birthday and convinced them to give me my driver's license. I don't think you could do that today, but I did that. I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get that thing. Uh, because man, that meant, I don't know about you guys, but that represented freedom. And it was like, man, I want that thing so bad, you know? Um, so I did that. I, I remember uh, other things. Getting married was a big event. You know, preaching the first sermon at this church and all the other churches I've been pastor of, those are big events that I remember. I can still tell you what I preached the first sermon here. I mean, it's, it's still clear in my mind and, and at the others as well. Um, so those were big events. Going to seminary, graduation from seminary was a huge event because that was something I never figured I would ever get done. Even when I went to school there, I thought, well, I'll go, but I doubt I'll ever make it clear to graduation. And I did. And, you know, even my parents came out for that and it was amazing. It was, it was quite the, the ordeal for us, but I remember that very well. Of course, getting married and, and then having our boys, those were big events. Those are all big events in my life. And now grandkids, you know, and uh, we've got three and one on the way. And those are really big events. Some of you just experienced that. And it's a, it's a big day. It's a, it's a big day. Uh, this week, it was a big event uh, because Rick and Cindy Clark had their 50th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, guys. Since they're only like 53 years old, I mean, I don't know. I guess it was an arranged marriage when you first were born or something. I don't know because... You know, you guys look like you're still kids yourselves. So but anyway, congratulations. That's awesome. What a big event. So I've had those events, and so have you, and these and a few others stand out as significant in my life. And I remember as a child, very young, praying to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I don't remember that being a big event at the time. It is now in my mind, but it wasn't at the time. And, and I kind of guessed that was because I hadn't murdered anybody you know, and I, I really hadn't told very many lies, and I don't think I'd stolen anything by then, and I don't think I'd even lusted much because I was only like six, you know, so I, I was pretty clear on all those kind of things. So, you know, I gave Christ my life, but it really didn't change much because, I mean, you know, what, what had you done? The biggest thing in my life at that point was getting mad at my sisters, and it really didn't stop that very much, to be honest with you. When you have four sisters and you're only, the only boy, you know, mad is kind of your rite of passage at that point, you know, so... Um, that was just my life. In verses 1 through 11 in this that I just read to you, Paul is telling us that 
meeting Christ is the single most biggest, most important event in this life. And I believe that's true today. I really do. I really do. Paul, Paul knew that. Paul talked about that. And, and for Paul, it was a big event because here's the deal. Paul understood um, how it changed his life. He, he had a very clear break from one place to another. If you go back and read in the passage of Scripture in chapter 3 before, like 1 through 11, he talks a little bit about his life and about what it was about. Before he was saved, he was a Pharisee. And he was not just a Pharisee, but he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was like the best of the best. Paul was an aristocrat. He was a wealthy man. He was educated, been educated in the best schools in Judaism, and he had been educated at the feet of the best professors that were available. They didn't have colleges like we have now, but they had the rabbinical schools, and the one at the temple was the biggest, and he had gone there, and he had graduated top of his class. He was the best. He talks about his perfection, how as a Pharisee, he, he did not uh, compare to anyone else. He was without sin. He was perfect in everything that he did. He was the one sitting there lending his considerable influence to those who decided to stone Stephen when Stephen was stoned, the first martyr of Christianity. He stood there and held their coats, it says, while they stoned him. And then he picked it up and he, he looked at the sect of the, the way it was called at the time, or Christianity as we know it now, and he said, you know what, this is not going to work, this is blasphemous, this is wrong, and we're going to wipe it out, we're going to get rid of this because it's not, it's not right. And he went out to take care of that. He was a very religious man, very devout, believed that he was helping God, and so he went out to wipe it out. In fact, he went and got papers and he said, you know, it's spreading over into other towns and I'm going to go to Damascus and I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of the way. We're going to wipe it out so that it's gone. And so he was on his way there when something big happened in his life. And Paul was on his way there and as he was going, a bright light shined down on him and his companions around him and the bright light, out of that bright light, a voice spoke and it was Jesus Christ himself who appeared to him and spoke to him in a very real way and told him, Paul, why are you kicking against the ghost? Why are you, why do you keep bloodying your face? Why don't you listen to me? I, I mean, I think God was looking at Paul and saying, you know, you're the kind of guy I could use, but you're all messed up. You don't understand me. You haven't met me. And so he met him that day. And uh, when he got done, he, he was blind, completely blind, unable to see. His companions took him on into Damascus. They took him to a little house on the street called Straight, and they left him in that house. And there he laid for three days, no food, no water, and no sight. And he was by himself until a man named Ananias, who God talked to in a dream, said, go and see Paul. He's my man, and I want you to touch him and lay your hands on him and restore him. And so Ananias did, and he went and touched him and laid his hands on him and explained some things. His eyesight returned, and his heart was changed forever, and it was never the same again. It was the biggest, single, most important event in his life because he went from being a person who was religious and who knew about God to knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior, knowing Jesus Christ as who he was. It was a dramatic experience. And he begins a relentless pursuit of Jesus at that point. I mean, it's not like anything you know anything about. Most of us are not relentlessly pursuing Jesus like this. 
His heart, his life was just all about it. There was nothing else that mattered. He didn't care about anything else. He would have starved to death. He would do whatever it took. I mean, if you read through his resume following this, he continually goes through hardship after hardship and comes up praising Jesus that he is considered worthy to be with him. And now he's inviting all of us into that same pursuit. And even if you don't have a dramatic conversion story, and most of us here don't, most of us don't have a falling off a donkey, getting blinded kind of experience. Once in a while I meet somebody who was living this life and God got a hold of them and there was a radical 180 and man, everything was just different after that. But most of the time we don't meet people like that. But he's inviting us to look at our life and to think about what it means in each one of us to meet the God of this universe. What does that mean for you to have met Jesus Christ? What does that mean for you to have met Jesus Christ? What does that do in your life? And to think about what it means and where you would be in your life if right now we take Jesus Christ out of your life. Where are you in your life? I want you to think about that this morning. In fact, I want you to ask yourself a question right now as I begin this message. I want you to stop for a moment and all the thoughts that are going on and wake up for just a minute and, and, and just think with me for just a moment and ask yourself this question. How long has it been? How long has it been since I had a real encounter with Jesus? And I'm not talking about how long has it been since I've been to church or how long has it been since I read my Bible because I read the Bible every day and I, I go to church a lot more than you do and, and, and I'm in all kinds of things and, and, and there's times when I go along and I say, you know what, I haven't had an encounter with Christ in a while. And so I want to ask you that question again. How long has it been since you had an encounter, an undeniable face-to-face -face moment with Jesus? And have you ever had that moment? Because those moments are available and those moments are considered normal for us Christians. When was the last time, let me ask you this question, when was the last time you really pursued Jesus? And I'm not asking you when was the last time you went to church or when was the last time you read your Bible, because hopefully you do that regularly, but I mean, when was the last time you just flat out said, you know, I'm going to pursue Jesus and I'm going to find him or die? I'm going to find him or die. See, Paul's given his resume, and I gave you some of that, Jew, Pharisee, legalistic, Roman citizen, wealthy, ruling class, persecutor of the way. Paul had it all. And he's saying this. He's saying that none of it matters. None of that that he has done matters in any way, shape, or form to meeting Jesus Christ. In fact, he calls it refuge. He calls it dung. He says it's all just waste except for the encounter with Jesus. So for Paul, it's all about Jesus. He's saying not only does he have, not only has he achieved in uh, 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 all he, and he's saying all that he's achieved and all that he's possessed in the past just doesn't matter, it stinks. And all that mattered was finding and knowing Jesus. Now, finding and knowing Jesus was way more than just saying a few words at an altar or saying a few words in a car somewhere or saying a few words someplace with somebody at a, at a rally or whatever when you were saved. It was a lot more than that for Paul. It's way more than just an intellectual assent to knowledge of. You know, a lot of people say that the Bible says, you know, that uh, if you believe that you're saved, belief there does not mean I believe that he is real and I give an intellectual assent to it, but it means that I have decided that he is real and I trust him with my life. And the question is, is where are you at with that? Paul believed 
For Paul and for us, knowing Christ means knowing the agony of his death. Paul understood that. He did not think of it and say, well, he died for my sins and I'm glad I didn't have to die. He understood that he was in the process with Jesus, that he had to connect his life to the agony of Jesus' death on a cross, that he too would go through all those things with him, that he'd walk that road with Jesus. He knew the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And I want to talk to you for a minute about what that means. It means that he gave him his life and he participated in the life of Christ, including the suffering, including being less than, including being ignored by the world, including being told no, including being persecuted, including all those things. And we have to as well. That's, that's our lot in life. When we sign up with Jesus, we don't get to sign up and say, well, I sure hope nothing bad ever happens in my life. It's not a comfortable thing. It's not signing up and saying, well, I hope everything is good. It's not like that. When we sign up and say, we believe, we trust, we sign up with him and we take whatever comes our way. And there may be tough things that come our way. Becoming like him, joining him in his death. You know, we have to die right now. When I sign up with Jesus, it's no longer about me. I don't get to make the choices about what I'll do with this life. Now, see, a lot of us are sitting here going, well, you know, that's not my brand. Well, I don't care if it's your brand or not. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says very clearly that when I sign up with Jesus, I don't get to make the choices anymore. I give it to him. And now I don't live for me. I live for him. And that's what it's all about. And it's okay if she cries or he cries because they're little babies and they're cute and they're sweet. And we're glad they're here. So let them cry. It's all right. Somehow... We're called to join him in his resurrection. Somehow we're called to be a part of that. You know, if we want to be a part with him in his resurrection, we have to be a part with him in all the other stuff too. I want to be a part of the resurrection. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of life. I, I, my life is there because God has given me life through his death. And this is way bigger than I believe what we've watered it down to. I think that Christianity today has somehow made Jesus some good friend Isn't it nice to have him as our companion? And I think he is a friend. He says, I'm your friend. But it's way more than that. I think Christianity has has made Jesus into something that he's not. He's not some weak fellow. He's not some personal genie that we go and ask for what we want. So we pick it up in verse 12 and Paul's saying, not that I have already obtained all this or been made perfect like Christ, But he said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I want to talk about that word, those words, I press on. Because I don't think that we are living in these words very much. I know I struggle with it. And I love the word picture Paul's using. What does it mean to press on? Paul's urging us to do something very important here. First, he's urging us to lay down the past. I'm going to tell you something right now. Because I know something about you guys. Because I've lived here with you now for 24 years. Some of you have been here the whole time. And I know you pretty well now. And, and I also know me pretty well. And you know me pretty well. And I know that if we're not careful, we still talk about the past. And there's nothing wrong with talking about the past on occasion. Every once in a while, it's good to get out the memories. The other day, got on YouTube. I was looking at pictures from the 60s. It was kind of cool. I said, oh, I remember those kind of things. Yeah, that's cool. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your past. See, right now, here's the deal. Satan wants, with all of his heart, to keep you beat down. How many of you have experienced this, what I'm getting ready to say? Satan loves to bring up something you did in your past. 
loves to remind you, doesn't he? Well, you know, you sit there in church and you raise your hand when we sing that song, He is Worthy, but I know the truth about you. And so then we sit there and pretty soon we're going, oh man, I'm not worthy. And I'm feeling guilty. Or my mom did this to me and you know, I just really can't get over it. I can't get past it. I can't forgive. Or, or my dad, he didn't do this for me, and, and I just can't get past it. I can't get over it. Oh, my goodness, you know, it's awful how I got treated in school and the teacher she made me, and oh, my. And, and we walk around, and we're holding on to our past, and we're all upset about it, and we're just all beat up by it, you know, and we're just sitting there going, oh, my past, my past, my past. And here's the deal. If your hands are full of the past, you can't grab hold of the future. That's one thing I do know. When my hands are full, if I try, I, I go out and I pick up sticks in my yard, okay, because I have a yard full of trees and some of them are dead. And I need to finish cutting them down. I haven't got them all down, so the ash trees just keep puking down. Every time it rains, they puke down more limbs. It's just sooner or later, they're all going to fall down. I won't have to cut them down. That's my, that's my dream anyway, and I won't have to worry about it anymore. But, but right now, I go out there and I have to pick up limbs, and I'm picking up all these sticks, and I get my hands full, and there's another one, and I go to pick it up, and I dump a bunch more down on the ground. And then I try to pick them up, and I, and I dump some more. You know, it doesn't work. When your hands are full, you can't pick up more. And when my hands are full of the past, when I'm walking around with all the junk from the past, all the things that have happened to me, all the things that I've done, all the stuff in my life, and I'm sitting there going, I'm going to try to pick up that on what God has for me. I can't do it because it's full of the past. And see, a lot of you, a lot of me, a lot of us, we're living in the past. We're still living in the past. We're still talking about what happened to us in 1942. And nobody knows that but you. And nobody cares except you and Satan. And he's very glad to remind you of 1942 and tell you, you know, that was just yesterday and you're still that kind of person. And you just need to put it in the past. Yesterday's over. You can't change yesterday, but what you can do is move on into the future that God has for you. Amen? I really believe that. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Lay down the past. He's urging us to do some important things here. He's pressing on is laying down the past, putting the past behind us, getting rid of the past. He's calling us believers to strain towards what is ahead. Now, that's a word picture that is like, it's an athletic kind of thing. When you're running, when you're in a race, have you ever been in a race where you were close and it was coming down and you were, you know, you were maybe out in front just by a little bit and you're giving it everything you've got and you're running as hard as you can. You're straining towards the end. I love watching the Olympics. Watch the guys, you know, when they get to the end, their arms out, they throw their chest out, they try to be the first one across. They're straining towards what is ahead. It's not sit and be content. See, I think most Christians are sitting around these days and they're content to sit around these days. Most of us are sitting around saying, well, I'm just waiting on heaven. It's going to be great. In the meantime, I'm going to have a good time. I don't think that's what we're called to. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about becoming satisfied. If you're satisfied with where you're at spiritually, then you're in trouble. You're going backwards because you can't be satisfied where you're at spiritually and be growing. You know, uh, when you're working out, you know, those of you who do that sort of thing. You know that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. If you're satisfied that my times are good enough when I run, then you're probably starting to move the wrong direction. When your basketball team has won a couple of games and you say, well, I'm satisfied, you'll probably lose the next two. 
There's got to be a place where you say, I'm not satisfied. It's not good enough, guys. We've got to get better. Have you ever listened to the coach? He gets up there, and, you know, and, and like old, old Frank right now for the Colts, you know, he gets up there, and we just won eight straight, and he goes, yeah, we're, we're doing okay, but we can get better. He's straining towards what's ahead. He's not ready to just be satisfied. But see, in Christianity, we're not like that. There's not a pursuit in it. We just sit there and say, well, I'm saved. And everything is okay, but it's not. It's not. We are, where we are spiritually is now not enough. It has to go forward. God is calling us to something more. He's wanting us to move forward. There needs to be a hunger and a thirst for more. Listen to the language Paul uses. I forget what happened. I forget the past. It's an active word. I'm in the process of forgetting the past. I'm dealing with the past and pushing it out of the way so that I can move forward into the future. I'm doing what I need to do. And there's a reason for that. I'm straining towards one ahead. Why? Because I want more of Jesus. It's not about anything else. Because it's going to make Jesus famous. Because everybody's going to be able to say, I remember him here, but he's not here anymore. And Jesus gets all the praise and all the glory for that. Because it brings glory to Jesus. See, here's the thing. Going to church, all the stuff that we do, it's not about heaven. A lot of us think it's all about heaven. Well, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. And, you know, some of you wonder why I don't like Southern gospel music. Well, my main number one concern with Southern gospel music is all they sing about is going to heaven. And I got a problem with that. And I'll just tell you what it is here. You know, it's nothing against the music. If you love it, I'm not telling you not to listen to it. I'm just telling you what my little issues are. I got issues, I know. So it's okay. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Listen to this. It's not about heaven. It's about Jesus. In fact, where Jesus is, is heaven. And without Jesus, there is no heaven. So it's all about Jesus. Paul was not about going to heaven. Paul was not talking about heaven. He's talking about Jesus. There's a goal, a prize which God called us to. And the goal and the prize is Jesus. And he's saying, strain towards Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Be all about Jesus. Be what Jesus is. Become like Jesus in every way. There's no complacency in what Paul is calling them to. There's no place to sit down and rest. No place to be satisfied. In fact, Paul talks about the fact that those things that lead us to complacency and becoming satisfied are the enemies of the cross. They're the enemies of Jesus. When, when you get satisfied, when you have let yourself get involved in things that cause you to be content and satisfied and and you're no longer straining towards what is ahead but you're sitting there going well this is nice then that's an enemy of the cross and you need to get it out of your life and it could be any number of things you know things that are good you know if 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 your job is taking you away to the place where you're going you know i don't have time to ever strain towards what's ahead then it's an enemy of the cross And God doesn't really want you there because he's wanting you in a place where you can strain towards what is ahead. If your family is causing you to be content and satisfied and you've got yourself all so busy with them that you don't have time to strain towards what's ahead, then you need to deal with that. Because your family's an enemy of the cross. It's real quiet when you talk like this. I noticed that. I have to deal with this too. You know, if your yard... 
<laughs> there's people whose yard has become an enemy of the cross. I'm too busy with my yard work. I don't have time. You know, anything that's anything, anything that that stops us from pushing forward into what Christ wants for us. Today's society is an enemy of the cross. We're so busy being entertained. Entertainment has become an enemy of the cross. All day long, we're looking for that next thing. Well, I can't wait to watch this. I can't wait to watch it. Our mind's not on Jesus. Our mind's on what's on TV tonight or what's on the, what, where, where are we going to go and, and, and get our entertainment. And it's an enemy of the cross. We're in a great battle. We don't even understand this. Most of the time we think that we're just Christians and everything is fine and life just goes on and we're just Christians. We're in a battle. There's a great battle going on right now. It's a battle. And here's the deal. Whatever strives to make us satisfied and comfortable is the enemy of the cross. Because our citizenship is not this earth. I don't live on this earth for uh, ever. This is not where I'm going to end up. I'm not about this earth, things of this earth. And I'm not talking about the ground, but I'm talking about all the stuff that goes on. This is not my home. My comfort is not to be an earthly comfort. My comfort should come from Christ. I'll tell you this week, I went through some really difficult things. I was just overwhelmed. One day, I heard about Christy Neal. And, and that heard that in early in the morning. And then, and then I go out and something else happened. And I, I hear some other news that just kind of knocked me down some more. And I was just kind of beat up. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to go out. And I know a one place where I can be alone. And it was my week to mow. And I'm just going to go out and mow the field out here. Because, you know, mowing, nobody can bother you very much. And so I got on the mower. And then the mower had a flat tire. You know, and at that point, I just wanted to pick the mower up and throw it. If I could have, I'd have tossed it in a pond. You know, it was just like, man, this is just frustrating. All of life, you know, and I was just kind of beat up, and I didn't sleep real well that night. I mean, to be honest with you, it was just on top of me. And I've been listening to a book uh, from Louis, Louis Giglio uh, called uh, Giants Must Fall. And if you want to read, uh, listen to something, read something that's powerful, grab that book. I highly, highly, can I say it again? Highly recommend it. It's awesome. But anyway, in that, it's talking about giants must fall. They don't have to fall accidentally. They must fall, and they must fall for one reason, because it brings glory and honor to our Father, and they must fall. And I begin to pray that, and I begin to trust the Lord. And here's the deal he's talking about. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I'm going to give a little spoiler here, but not much. But one of the things he talks about is, is that when David fights, it's not us. We're not David. We're not out there. David is the representative of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David. Jesus Christ fights for us. So when there's giants, Jesus Christ takes care of it. Guys, right now, we're in a big battle. And we're not supposed to sit around and be comfortable. Our focus has to be defeating anything in our lives that leads to being satisfied with anything else. If right now you're being satisfied, if, if, if your job's making you satisfied with your life and everything's fine and I don't need Jesus, then it's an enemy of the cross. Paul is saying, press on. One of the greatest frustrations Abraham Lincoln had when he was president of the United States and was trying to lead the Civil War and trying to reunite the two sides of our nation was that there would be a great battle and the North and the South would battle and maybe the North would win and there was an opportunity to press on, to press the battle, to go forward, to finish the fight 
to put their, throat on, their, their foot on the throat of the enemy, to, to really finish it up. And Lincoln would be, yeah, now go do it. And invariably, he had generals who would pull back and get into a defensive position. And the war raged on. And Lincoln was beside himself. He didn't know what to do because he knew that if they got into a defensive position, they would get comfortable. They let the other enemy, the enemy get away. They would get comfortable. And that's what we do. We start out really going after it. We want to see sin defeated. We know that our lives are a mess. We ask God to forgive us. We start feeling better about things and we drop back in a defensive position. And we don't press the battle. We don't press the battle. We don't go forward. We don't put our foot on the throat of Satan and say, enough. I'm going to tell you something you need to know right now. A lot of you are walking around saying, yeah, well, that's Satan and he's kind of powerful. No, he's not. He has been defeated. I read the book. He's done. He's finished. The Bible says that he's finished. Now, God has given him a little bit of power, but he has no authority over you whatsoever. As children of God, you can tell him to leave you alone, and he has to leave you alone. You can press the battle. You can go all the way. You can say, enough, I'm not going to deal with that. We don't need to take a defensive posture. We need to take the fight to Satan. We need to contend for the sake of Christ and his kingdom and everything that's under his control. And so I want to ask you right now, how long has it been since you've had an encounter with Jesus? How long has it been since you really got face to face and took enough time to stop and say, okay, I'm going to get some of the stuff out of the way so I can get in place where I can hear from Jesus today? See, you know, that's one of the reasons I took the break that I did this summer because it had been a while, because I was struggling, because everything was getting in the way, because everything is busy, and because I had a lot of stuff, and it was important stuff, and I was doing it, and it was like, oh, that's important, but it had become the enemy of the cross because Jesus couldn't speak anymore. I couldn't hear him. I didn't have time. I had to stop. I had to put some things aside. I had to go meet him because it's important. It changes everything. How long has it been since you really pressed the battle against Satan in your life. I mean, not where you just said, oh yeah, you know, there's some bad things, but it's going to be all right. But I mean where you know, you look in your life and you say, these things are still there and these past things are still eating away and these things are still causing problems and these things still need to be dealt with and I'm going to deal with them and I'm not going to live in this mess and I'm not going to continue on like this. I'm done with this. And you take those things and you get rid of them. You begin to push them out and you let God have them and you move on. How long has it been since you pressed the battle against Satan in your life? How long has it been since you went full out against sin where you said enough is enough? I'm not living in that mess anymore. I'm not going to continue to do that anymore. I'm not going to continue to tell those lies, live in those lies or whatever. How long has it been since you said let's find it, let's identify it, let's get rid of it? Paul was clear, I haven't reached the point of perfection yet. See, Paul understood that he hadn't gotten all the way there either. He was still fighting these battles, but he said, I press on. I know that I've got some issues. I know there's some things in my life that aren't right. I know there's some things in my life that I've still got to deal with. I can't imagine that Paul, after he got saved, just went, oh, well, yeah, I helped kill Stephen. Not a big deal. I killed some other Christians. No big deal. I think Paul had to deal with all that stuff in his life. He had to go through and let God help him deal with that. But you know what? He said, I got to get it dealt with. I'm pressing on because right now the only thing that matters is Jesus. 
And I want Jesus so bad. How long has it been since you really pressed on? Or are you content to live with your mediocre spiritual life and just say, well, it's good enough and I'm just going to go to heaven and it'll be okay. See, I think there's going to be a big surprise for a lot of folks who think that they're going to heaven because they quote unquote believe but haven't dealt with anything in their life. I think that God's calling us to deal with stuff in our lives. I think he's died on a cross to set you free. I think he died on a cross to give you abundance. And abundance is not abundance as in I got thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars, but abundance is in freedom. And I've got joy. And I've got peace. And I know who I am. And I don't have to worry about what the world says. See, a lot of us are still walking around church and we're looking down our nose and we're saying, well, they aren't doing things like I ain't like it. You know, you need to get over that. You need to think about Jesus. It's not about whether we do things the way you like it or not. It's about Jesus. It's all about Him. That's all it is. Are you content to live with your mediocre spiritual life? Are you content to live with your little sins? Those sins that so easily beset you, the Bible talks about. Are you comfortable and resting in your spiritual life? Because if you are, I want to see you get over that. You know what? The best thing in the world is coming home and sitting down in your recliner and just chilling out. Isn't, it, isn't that great after a day you've been out and you've been busy? But you know what each one of us really need to do? We need to get out and run. Because you know what? That's the best thing for us. But it's uncomfortable. Many days in the past, because I haven't done it in a while, but in the past when I did run, I would look and I'd go, I don't want to do that today. I'm tired. I don't feel good. When I run, my stomach hurts. When I run, my head hurts. My feet hurt. I want to be comfortable. When you're comfortable, you get fat. I'm telling you the truth here. I don't hear a lot of amens, but I'm telling you the truth here. And when you get fat, you die. And the same thing is true in your spiritual life. You need to be working out. You need to study. You need to dig deep. You need to look in your heart. And you need to say, God, show me. And then you need to deal with it. And you need to do that daily. And there needs to be a constant searching for Jesus, moving towards Jesus, pressing on, pressing the battle in your life and then in the lives of others. And I'll tell you something. When you do that, when you're living like that, you can testify. You can testify to the greatness of God and how He's changed your life. And when you testify... People are going to get saved. One of the reasons why the world in the United States, one of the reasons why people are not in church like they used to be, one of the reasons why they're pulling away is because all these years we've said, this is what we believe, but haven't lived it. We need to press on. When we do, it will change lives. I promise you that. It'll change your life. I've asked Seth to come up and he's going to sing for us. And... Uh, I want you to do something while he does that. I want you to think about how long has it been since you really pressed on and how long has it been since you really had that encounter with Christ. I don't want you to sing. I want, I want Seth to sing for us. I want you to just hear what he's singing and listen. And, and if God is speaking to your heart this morning and you go, man, you know, I need to, I need to make a change. I've, I've kind of gotten comfortable. It'd be a good time to pray. To just come up here and kneel or you can meet me, I'll be over there and you can come over there and meet me and, and I'll pray with you.
But I know one thing. I know that God is speaking to some hearts. I just believe that today. Because this message isn't really the one I was choosing to end this with, but I just felt like I couldn't get away from this. And I just feel like God's been speaking to me all week long. He's calling us to press on, press into this battle. So, let's stand together and listen. And as we do that, if you want to pray, come up here and pray. I'll be over here. I'll pray with you if you want to meet me there. But let's, let's listen to the Lord as Seth sings. Lord, we thank you that we found you. But Lord, finding you is not enough. We want to press into you all the way. Give us the courage, Lord, to, to lay down the things that uh, get in the way, the things that will stop us, the things that will keep us from really becoming what you want us to be, the things that are stopping us from making a difference. Lord, right now we know that there's things going on in our lives, and we're busy, and I get that. And I'm not saying we should quit doing those things, but Lord, we should not let those things stop us from doing the most important thing, which is pursuing you with all of our heart. Lord, may we take the battle to Satan. Help us not to sit in our defensive little posture of hoping everything works out, but help us to take it to him. Help us to be in the word and in prayer and in study and in fellowship and in community with others that will lead us deeper and deeper. And uh, Lord, we need you. We need you. And we're looking forward to what you want to do. We're believing for great days ahead. We really are. And we just can't wait to see where you're taking us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. And uh, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Small group leaders, Brooke needs to meet you right after the service right back here. So make sure that you see her.